so I was at work that night, um, and someone came like hobbling in, like on one leg, bleeding, um, yelling because they had been shot. Um, and I was kind of freaking out, like I was trying to just get to a phone. I was going to call somebody, but luckily, I guess authorities had already been um, called because uh, police and like um, an ambulance, EMTs and stuff were already were like right behind them. They rushed in and and treated that person, and I kind of found out through all this guy hobbling into the lobby of the hotel that I was um, working at that night, uh, telling me that there had been a shooting. Hey guys, welcome back to the Chatta Heavy Podcast. We've got your co-hosts here. I'm Jason. Hey, what's up? Casey here. So today, we're just going to do a, a quick recap of episode one, where we began the warehouse, started in East Ridge, Tennessee. Casey started out with good friend Matt Holland, established the warehouse, got it going, got some shows going. Had Sean Hines come in as Matt moved out and helped Casey run things from there. And then as Sean phased out, I stepped in. We had uh, some good times, some good shows. And so, yeah, we wanted to talk about a few of those shows a little more in depth. Mentioned some more. We uh, we did a bad job remembering all the really good shows. So we wanted to kind of go over a few at the beginning of this episode. I know um, definitely some that come to mind were that we didn't mention in episode one were um, some that were actual that actually sold out that room that were local bands. Um, and one, a, a main one that comes to mind would be um, a local band that was called Between Two Seas. Actually had a decent amount of coverage. They were featured in AP Magazine at one point. Um, had a lot of momentum behind them. I think they recorded with um, a guy that either recorded I See Stars or was recording them at the same time, which I know um, was a big band for them at the time as far as sound-wise. Um, so, yeah, that was very nice. cool. They, yeah, they, I didn't uh, know that. That's awesome. Yeah. they. Um, that was their CD release show that they sold out that room and it was um it was well over cap too i want to say it was close to it was like 250 or something like that i don't know if you remember nice yeah i don't i don't remember i do remember them releasing a cd and being one of the bigger local shows of that of that era for sure um the with face of flames did yes. a reunion show which reunion shows usually do well but around that time 
know, they had not played for years. And I think the band Unspoken Triumph had already been going for a while. So, right. So when they announced that they were doing a, a reunion show, it did really well, sold out that room over capacity. So that it was, was cool that they um, that they wanted to do it at the warehouse because we didn't um, we weren't super plugged into the Chattanooga metal scene at the time, like like real like metal. You know, a lot of that was um, at JJ's and at Ziggy's, um, mainly because we were all ages and didn't serve alcohol, right? And sure. so I remember at the time being a little taken back that they wanted to do it with us. Um, do you have any like memories on that? Like being maybe surprised or just maybe not so much since you and Ian go way back. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember anything specific, but I probably had to do with capacity. Maybe our room was bigger than some of those other rooms around Chattanooga. And so, um, you know, they needed more, more space, more bodies in the room. And, uh, and they did. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember it going really well. I mean, we even uh, used the picture as our uh, podcast logo here. It went so well. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, all right, oh, and then um, another, yes, so one that you probably won't want to bring up, but uh, Within's very last show right, right, was in Eastridge. Had some notable bands play, sold out over capacity. I don't think I was even at that show i don't think i was a part of the warehouse at that point it was pretty early on yeah, it was in 09 i'm not sure exactly what month or i, I guess i would have been march yeah. 2009 i think but okay. um my mom and dad were actually at that show so that was that was fun um <laughs> it was the first time they had seen within i think and probably probably since 2003 or something it had been six or seven years since they had seen us. So obviously we, we had changed a lot at that point, but, um, but yeah, mom and dad were there. So shout out mom and dad. Shout out mom and dad. Yeah. Good for them. Well, I think uh, a plea for purging played that show. Uh, Maybe. no, no, I played it. I don't think it was, um, I just saw the flyer. Um, it was in this hour, behold the brave and dead in Stanley. It was actually those four bands. So. Oh, okay. And I think actually uh, Todd Preston, Half Price Hero, ended up playing, I want to say, two songs right before Within went on. Okay, so that's cool. That was special to me as my boy Todd. So. Did you dive off the speaker stack at that show? I just remember the last song, basically the whole stage became this massive pylon and the speakers were falling and things were getting broken and it was just awesome it was oh good a lot what of fun to describe something yeah a lot Nothing of fun being broken is awesome yeah it's great um yeah <laughs> all right what about other other shows to me that stand out we booked the band advent a few times probably three or four times uh there was one show that advent and gideon and call to preserve in irons and a few more hardcore bands were on. That show kind of stands out to me. Just some stacked southeastern spirit-filled hardcore at yeah, that point. So good. Um, the band across Five Aprils, you know, had disbanded by that point. Right. But they kind of rejoined with an original lineup of sorts and uh, renamed under a tragedy in progress. Played. Um, I'm looking here. It says November 6, two thousand nine. I think. 
So that show, uh, Amity played that. Faded played that. Um, yeah, that was like a reunion show. It also did really well. I remember yeah. it doing selling out and being somewhat over capacity. I don't remember it being huge, huge. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the numbers on it. I wish I had. We used to have all this in in a book of like, you know, how many tickets were sold that night, pre-sale, oh, right. how many at the door, what was our break-even, what was the honorarium for the night. I have that book somewhere. I just don't know where at this moment. But um, some of the bigger metal bands. I'm just currently looking through some of the flyers, but um, we had ambush a couple times. The band Abacab, Doctor Acula played there. <laughs> right, <laughs> funny. Um, Born of Osiris played there at one point. Um, oh yeah, that's right. And then obviously in the last episode we talked about having Veil vale Maya in Periphery and Animals right. as leaders. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We had becoming the archetype several times. Um, Greeley Estates, the band Vanna played there, I think twice, and they were killer. I remember they stood out to me uh, a couple times. They played. Um, we had In the Midst of Lions probably four or five times in East Ridge. They were kind yeah, of like definitely. A, a glorified local band at that right. point. Um, they were, um, like we talked about in that first episode, one of those bands that were kind of on the way up. Um, and ended up stopping through Chattanooga a good bit. And um, we ended up forming right. relationships with those guys and we're yeah. good friends with them for a long time. I actually sold them within his old trailer. So at one oh, point, really? I didn't know that. bought our trailer. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And then uh, uh, my buddies in Show the Fight, they actually bought our van as well. So, oh, okay. Was, yeah. It was good stuff. Um, impending Doom, Living Sacrifice. Um, we had a killer hardcore show that most people probably wouldn't remember, but the band Outbreak and Soul Control. Oh, right. Uh, Brute yeah. Force, Late Night Rage, In Time, and Crossed. So that was like So a, that was that was one of the times where we had a good showing um, from what people call Scenic City Hardcore. Um, right. Kind of this group of people um, that mainly went, did a lot of house shows, did some shows at a venue that used to be around called Anna. Antarctica, right? Um, which I'm sure we'll get into all this, and it'll be a little more focused on Scenic City Hardcore because um, they did some good stuff, and they were they were always around. They kind of did their own thing, a little separate from the all ages crowd that we normally dealt with, right? Um, but yeah, I think we're gonna get into that on some episodes pretty soon. Yeah, so stay tuned. Yeah, I know we mentioned um, last podcast, but. The Ghost Inside for the Fallen Dream show was killer. Um, yeah, hey, I couldn't remember who else. You have that flyer. Who else was on that show? Yeah, Before There's Rosalind, Suffocate, and Your Demise. Your Demise, that's right. That was that band. They were a hardcore. Yeah, they were like a hardcore band. Right? Yeah. 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 kind of sound like Comeback Kid. That one Chariot show had the Chariot, Cancer Bat, Straight from the Path, Amity, and Tara's Lean. Right, so, so let's talk about that show. So that, yeah, that's definitely one of the highlights of really warehouse history, I'd say. Um, I know it's one of my favorite shows. I think it's one of your favorite shows that we ever put on. Um, One of the, maybe the biggest show, like numbers-wise, that we had in Eastridge. 
It's hard right. to remember. It was just, it was so far over capacity. Now, that wasn't the chariot one that, that got shut down, correct? No, it was. It That's was. What I was about okay. to get into. Okay, yeah, yeah. gotcha. Because okay. it was like, we were like into 300 at that point, like at that right. show. And you know, that room was like 180 right. um, capacity-wise. But so for those that weren't there or haven't heard, so what happened was, was... um. Uh, two locals played, the Straight from the Path played, and um, apparently there was an issue with one of the touring bands um, drinking in their van, and um, maybe somebody that was dropping off their kid like saw that there was alcohol on the premises and called um, authorities, and so the fire, the fire marshal came um, and basically was able to see that we had way too many people here. Right. Uh, and then ended up. Uh, I think this was this would have been while Cancer Bats was playing, right? So the Chariot hadn't played yet. Okay. Um, and so, um, obviously, when he shows up, we go and get you. You deal with the fire marshal. What do you remember from that day? From dealing with him, do you remember just being completely panicked, like freaked out that your your main. Um, your band that's going to go on last, like hasn't even played and now your show's going to get shut down. Yeah, definitely. was just <clears throat> a very high stress moment. And, um, thankfully I already had a little bit of a relationship with the fire marshal. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's a, he's actually a pretty great guy. And he, uh, we were way over capacity, uh, almost double. And so he was, um, you know, he was like, Hey, we, this can't happen. You know, I'm gonna have to shut the, shut the show down, et cetera, whatever. And so, um, we, uh, Josh from the chariot, the lead singer of the chariot, uh, he was around, he came over, saw what was going on, you know? Um, so it was me and him and the fire marshal kind of stepped outside and had a conversation and, uh, Josh just being the quick thinker that he is, he mentioned, okay, what if we did this? And this was, this was completely his idea at the moment. Right. Um, what if we had half of the crowd, we counted you know, down to the 180 number and let those folks stay inside. The other group of people line up outside and wait. You know, right. And the chariot would actually play two times because like you said, that at that point, everybody had seen the first four bands really. Uh, mm -hmm. Cancer bats, I think, is playing as this is as this conversation is going on outside, and so um, so the fire marshal just kind of stands there and he's thinking and he's like, okay, I mean that sounds good to me. So we said, all right. So we, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Like you were saying that he would even like consider let, right, right. yeah, let let that go. Yeah, um, even though no, we had like, yeah. way too many people there, and apparently there was alcohol on the premises, right. that he would let that kind of stuff slide because I guess he knew us and what we were trying to do, and let us go with this crazy idea. Yeah. So another really cool thing about that show that stands out to the people that were there is Josh also was like, you know, just turn all the lights on, and we were like, do what? He said, just leave all the lights on. We don't care about the stage lighting and setting the mood or you know setting the environment whatever so we're like okay so we yeah. literally turned all the fluorescent lights on you know it had this drop ceiling like a typical strip mall you know we turned all the house lights on and the chariot played just you know in complete light wild. and it was yep and it just went crazy and it was just a whole lot of fun and then it's almost like it brought more 
more energy out of people and the band. True. So, and yeah. this was, uh, we didn't make this clear. So, um, the chariot played once with all the lights off and running colored lights and normal sound and all this, right. For 180 people. Right. right. And so I was actually outside with the other 150 or so people. Right. right and right. I was trying to keep them in line. Um, and so then once that set was done, all those people came out, we let the next, people come in and counting them as they come in. Um, and then, yeah, that's when, when Josh said to just turn all the lights on, it's almost like, uh, yeah, the show's, the show's over. So let's, we'll kind of treat it like that, but we'll also have a wild time. And it was very cool. Yeah. It's this, atmosphere and this moment that we definitely won't be able to replicate and it's something that I'm, I'm sure neither of us will ever forget and i'm sure a lot of the people that were there at the show won't forget either right and, um yeah and so i'm glad that we were in this our original home in east ridge we were able to make memories like that right yeah another uh kind of funny moment i remember we booked the band the showdown and like four band members out of the six or whatever it was at the time uh drove their harleys and they like backed up onto oh the uh onto the sidewalk of east ridge warehouse parked all their harleys like side by side and uh, it was just uh, kind of a funny like you know, moment. If you know who the showdown is, you know you right. They're just you get a bunch it. of goofy guys. Right, <laughs> you get it. Yeah. But um, and yeah. I mean, speaking so. of uh, like making making memories, another show we forgot to mention last time um, that was very notable, also a sellout. I think just a little bit over capacity um, was an Evergreen Terrace headlining tour. Um, that obviously, so me and Casey were very excited about. Big Evergreen Terrace fans. Um, mm-hmm. We're really excited to book them, have them there. Um, there was this other band, I guess, like they would have been third on the card, right? It was uh, Evergreen Terrace for the Fallen Dreams. And I don't know, this band we'd never heard of. We didn't care. We were just glad Evergreen Terrace was there. But this other band that played was called Asking Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> they were from the UK. And what I specifically remember about this show was that there were so many like younger kids there, basically you'd see at the mall in Hot Topic that had just never been to our venue before. We'd right. never seen before. And there was, but what sticks out about it was there was just so many of them. And what's crazy is they were all there to see Asking Alexandria. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, like at the time we were, we were really rolling. We were finally starting to be like, maybe close to being actually profitable. We had developed good relationships with um, talent agents and all this stuff. We're really starting to get to figure out how to run this venue and this business. And we're like, okay, we got a good, we got a good finger on the pulse of what's going on in aggressive music. But here comes this band that apparently is just blowing up that we had no idea. Like the, the place went nuts when they played. And then what yeah. surprised us even more is that half the place emptied after they played too. And right. so then for the fallen dreams and then evergreen terrace played and there's even less people there for evergreen terrace, which was just nuts. It blew our minds because yeah. we're such big fans. And um, there was like a, maybe one third of the total people were still left to see the, the headliner that night. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was really weird. But um, so we had asking Alexandria was there, and then also we came as Romans was there at one point. I think with the chariot, right? Yeah, that was on a yeah chariot headliner tour. (laughs) So, so a few bands that are still around today that are much much larger today than they were then, but. Um, we were supposed to have, do you, I don't know if you'll remember this, but we actually had the band, uh, from first to last booked. And, right. Um, so, um, what's the singer's name that's now Skrillex? Uh, Sonny. Yeah. So he was technically still in the band at that point, And then was he, uh, I thought, cause I thought that that's the reason why the whole tour got canceled was because the oh, band, the band okay. basically broke up and they, we got. Uh, a week out from from the show, they they emailed us and canceled the whole tour. Right, and yeah. then next thing I heard was like two months later was that he had started his career under the name Skrillex and he was going the EDM route. So I'm right. assu- we were assuming that that was why that the tour got canceled because of that, but I don't know that for certain. But we did have them booked, and it just never happened. It's a show that never happened. Right, the show that never happened. There was a couple you, of shows um, that never happened, but that was one of them. Do you remember um, any like notable bands maybe that you put in an offer for and didn't get or maybe turned one down that um, at at this time, right, for the Eastridge years that mm-hmm. comes to mind that you kind of maybe regret or or maybe it's just funny now looking back on it? I knew that uh, at one point I looked back through a few emails. We had gotten offered for today at some point in 08 or 09 and didn't take it, didn't know who they were. Um, and then, um, I think that would have been an 08, but, um, I so that would have been know. all the way up, like maybe yeah. before they were on blood and ink or face down. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember anybody else. I'm sure there was a few things like that. Um, of course we had no earthy idea who animals as leaders were at the time um, right. it, that we booked that. We just knew that it was a, a good metal show and. You know, we knew who Vela Maya was, so we were like, sure, this sounds great. Let's book it. Right. And then, uh, you know, then those bands are on there and just they end up blowing up later, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's all the ones that kind of quickly come to mind about Eastridge. Of course, we had, oh, man, we did probably, I don't know, I'm just throwing out a number, we probably did 200 shows in three years. Right, um, something somewhere around there. So. Yeah, because I think in the first episode we talked about um, a lot of it was mainly weekends. But when you really look back on it, we were doing we were doing shows all during the week, all the time yeah. too. And all of us yeah. were working full time jobs, and then we'd get off. We might get some food like mm-hmm. on the way there, and then we would go and be right. at the warehouse for like right. four or five hours. Right. I think our streak at one point we did nine shows straight in a row. I think that was our, yeah, the most that we ever did kind of in a row. Um, So I wonder how many of those included uh, those who fear and uh, straight to what remains. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We definitely had some, that is one thing I wanted to mention. I do remember um, helping a lot of bands out and letting, letting them stay the night or letting them stay the week um, in strength to what remains. Uh, favor they stayed there at one point they had they had a lot of van issues over the years but at one point they legitimately lived there for like two and a half weeks so um so we got to know them pretty uh, well yeah yeah, it's great so one of the nights that sticks out is me and the singer josh um 
I hope he's listening. He'll remember this. But we decided to go uh, dumpster diving for some pizzas in Fort Oglethorpe. Oh, good. And um, it was like two in the morning. Uh, we were hanging out. He gets in my truck. We head down to Fort O, which is right, you know, outside of East Ridge, if you if you know where that's at. And um, he, uh, we get pulled over by a cop at like two a.m. I'm driving my grandfather's truck at the time, so it's in somebody else's name. We don't even have the same last name because it's like my mom's dad. So, so when we get pulled over, you know, different last name. It's a Tennessee tag. We're in Georgia. Um, and obviously, you know, Josh has a lot of tattoos. I had some at the time, you know, it just, and we're literally about to go jump through this dumpster and try to find pizzas. <laughs> well, I, it doesn't get I guess, any more random than that. I guess that gives you an idea to, um, what we were talked about the financials a little bit last episode that, you know, sure. we were barely, barely breaking even a yeah. lot of times, if that. And so sometimes you had to go. Right. Find some donuts and some pizzas and some dumpsters to to feed yourself or feed some bands that day. um, So anyways, all that to say, we became close friends with Strength and What Remains. And there was probably five or six other bands that would stay overnight on the couches and just kind of sleep there. And we had some other ones like, yeah, like Those Who Fear and um, Before There Was Rosalind, Close Your Eyes. Um, My Epic. Um, yeah. yeah yeah there's a there's, few bands that we ended up making pretty strong relationships with right. people we still talk to today but yeah so we transitioned from east ridge to moving to a 412 market street in downtown chattanooga so this would have been um in january of 2011 so Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Like what made you want to make this move? Did it have anything to do with maybe since we were having consistent, like when we had a decent tour come through, we were selling out 180 capacity. Did that make you search out a new place to have the venue at? Did it have anything to do with being in Chattanooga rather than being in East Ridge? Um, that was a, huge, a big detriment to us a lot of times, especially um, for promotion. Um, and, um, yeah, how that came about with renting a room from Tim Reed. Yeah. So it, it kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. Um, if I remember correctly, like I said, last episode, some of this is like just in my head and, uh, maybe wrong on some of the quotes. So don't, don't, don't at me for it, but, uh, they, uh, we were looking for a bigger room um, that definitely had some appeal to it um, because we were doing more shows that were uh, more crowded and um, and it also held us back from booking larger artists and whatnot. Now we had rented um, the main space at Club Fathom was a room that held a thousand. It was a thousand capacity. We right. had rented that before a few times over the years and held shows down there. Um, we held a Brian Head Welch show down there. We did a Red show. We did a, sh- a show with a band called Family Force Five. So we had um, we had a relationship, you know, with the owners there and with some of the folks there. So and, um, and you did previously. I mean, for those that sure, yeah. don't know, so this would have been um, where the legendary Club Fathom was for Chattanooga. Right. Kind right. of what the void that the warehouse 
filled as in this all ages music venue for um, aggressive music is what club fathom was for years before that where your band within really cut their teeth and really gained a lot of popularity also where you um really learned how to book bands how to build shows um how to build festivals was all through that room right that big main room um around and in and out of club fathom in downtown chattanooga so what did that did that have like significance for you like when you I guess you're about to get into this one. You kind of got the call, this offer to move down there. Did it, did it feel special? Like moving to this place where you had made so many memories. Now you were going to potentially going to get to make more memories with your venue there. It did. Yes. And, and, um, it had some, you know, a sentimental, you know, to a lot of us and not just me, but several other folks that were involved, you know, we, we did grow up going there. Oh, yeah, for sure. back me when, too. I was super excited about it. Yeah. yeah. So when we got the offer, um, the offer was, you know, how much we were paying in East Ridge, which was $1,500 a month, uh, which was a discounted price because of we, uh, us knowing the landlord, right. um, Basically, the offer was, you know, you can come down to Club Fathom and rent the smaller uh, room. There's t- uh, two main rooms down there. One of them held about 250, if I remember, maybe even 280. I think. Is yeah, it? I want to say the yeah, I want to say the cap was 300, so maybe okay. it was 280. Yeah, I think it was 280. Was the oh, so so for room. those that don't know, so how this building worked? What it was in? It's in downtown Chattanooga. You go in on the ground floor. You go. Um, up this hallway on this ramp that zigzags um, until you get to the the main floor, the second floor, where there's this very long, wide hallway that separates these two concert hall rooms. Um, so when you're up there on your right side is the smaller room, the 280 cap room. It mm-hmm. um, at the time was painted all red and mm-hmm. it was called the red room where they did um, – uh, like DJs and EDM and stuff like that for a long time. And mm-hmm. then the across the hall um, was the main room, the thousand cap room where they had a lot of the tours and eventually got into rap and hip hop having there. Right, um, right. Yeah. So that's kind of how that building was set up. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so that small room we were offered for the same price we were paying in East Ridge, the $1,500 plus a couple perks. It was like, you know, free utilities, free internet, a few things like that. Um, they did actually, uh, the room was painted white before we ever went, moved down there. So they painted it white at some point. I can't remember, oh, Okay, uh, but before we moved in, it was, it was a white room and then, uh, it had a stage that was already there but we we kind of went in and did our own thing and really like reworked it yeah yeah so um so that was the deal so it it appealed to us on several levels parking was great the location obviously was you know tenfold where we were in east right. ridge um just being on market street just remembering a lot of those early 2000s with the shows down there and uh just lines wrapped around chilies and Right. It just brought back a ton of nostalgia and and um it was just we wanted to be downtown. That was always a goal, that was always a thought, like, man, what if we could be in downtown Chattanooga? And obviously the address change worked in our favor. 
well, you know, huge, putting, huge, yeah. yeah, for um, for tour packages and stuff dealing with agencies because now, right. now, now you're in a city that they've actually heard of, right? Sure. Yeah, that, where they can Google and see how many people live there compared to how many people live in East Ridge and the potential right, right. of a percentage of those people coming to this concert, right? So right. yeah, it was a big deal for us for sure. I'm trying to think um, the folks that kind of helped us along that that journey of getting down there and getting going. Yeah, we had um we had a really solid team of volunteers that um I'd say maybe after about a year into being in Eastridge, so probably around two thousand, maybe mid two thousand nine, um, starting there and then pretty much all the way through the time we were um in Eastridge and then uh, pretty much the whole however long it was, I think like a year, a year and a half in downtown um or pretty much all the same core of people um a really strong friend group a lot of us live together um, in that house in east ridge um and then a lot of us went to church together um Mm -hmm. just all solid people all had different strengths um i know um like for instance um joey wadded and heather ketterer were both um very big on establishing relationships with a lot of the uh, regular um, kids and local kids that would come to the shows. And so, and you know, a big part of the whole reason why we wanted to do this, you know, other than just to, you know, have cool bands come to our town and play um, and all that, but was to give people a place to come and feel safe and get loved on when they don't have that anywhere else. And two people on our staff that really, really made that a part of their mission of being there were Joey and Heather. They just connected mm-hmm. with people. People would come to them and talk to them about whatever was going on with their life. And they would pray with them or um, get out and help, you know, like that's what we were about. We we're about taking action. Um, we would go and help people move stuff. We'd go and pick people up and take them places. Um, and this didn't have anything to do with music or a venue. It's just because we established relationships with people that came often and wanted to help them however we could. Right. Yeah. And um, so I'm glad that we had a place where people felt safe and could come and talk to us and our staff and um, especially people like, like Joey and Heather that really worked hard to, to make those relationships and give people somebody to come and talk to when they feel like they didn't have anybody else. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There were so many people that helped out and I know that we, We'll probably leave some folks out, but but uh, I wrote down just a few quick names that come to mind when I think about downtown and just some of those people that stick out in my head that helped out a whole lot. Uh, Jeremy Campbell was one that he helped me a ton with production and audio, and um, same also, with uh, Cody Cody Watkins. Yes, Cody Watkins for sure. Um, Josh Branham helped yep. a ton with. Uh, a lot of that as well. I think that's where he got his start in production mm-hmm. as well. Um, let's see who else I got on here. Donnie Bryant helped out a lot. Andrew Bettis, Lauren Koch, Jamie Black, David Beck, Courtney Bryce, Hollywood, and Camille Cass. So all of those names kind of quickly came to my mind when thinking about you know that specific era of downtown warehouse. So love all. Yeah, of for sure. Yeah. yeah, and these are people we still all have you know, good, strong relationships with to this day. I mean, we're all, you know, we're just a tight knit 
like close friend group. And, it, um, and that's probably why everyone wanted to come and help out. Um, I don't know if you mentioned, but Caitlin Delaney also, um, was being to that. I remember she was, uh, especially the downtown years, um, yeah. and was always a, a big help because her dad, um, was big at, um, Calvary Chapel Church in Chattanooga mm-hmm. and she had helped out there for years and so she brought a little bit of almost like legitimacy also too sometimes to helping like yeah. with um, keeping things structured in a live event capacity I remember yeah. she'd always be in a big help with stuff like that yeah for sure I remember that very first show where when we opened up. Let's see that we said that was in January of 2011, right? Right. Okay. And so then I think we had a um, before there was Rosalind and To Speak of Wolves tour package come through that we just kind of lined up with our grand opening at the same time. Um, and then some notable um, local bands played. But yeah, I remember that being a good show. I don't remember if it sold out, do you? Um, I don't think it did, but I can't remember on that one right. in particular. I'm going to try to look at some of the shows we had in downtown that year uh, that stand out to me. And just um, I know we had, um, we had Emory a couple of times. I know um, two right. different headliners. One was with um, O Sleeper, mm-hmm. and then another time was with, at the time, um, as Seasburn was going under the name Hawk Boy. Right. He played. Um, both of those shows went really well, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. I, to me, like moments that stick out in downtown – the first time we booked Emory and they played the song Walls, I remember it was just kind of like one of it's those, just, you know, epic moments of this is like, this is why you pour so much time into booking and so much, you know, uh, behind the scenes is to have a moment like that to where, to me, that song was, you know, it kind of marked an era of, of Tooth and & Nail and, and Solid State you know, records. Right. For that sure. When we booked Emory for the first time and they played that song and the room just went nuts and it was just a great, great moment. Same thing happened. That was in that year we were downtown. It was the first time we booked Norma Jean as well. And right. it was just like boiling up to the moment where they play uh, Memphis Sweeby Laid the right. Waste. And so when they did, it's just like, man, this is why we do this. And this is uh, just one of those moments that just go down and kind of the, warehouse history yeah but also just a little bit of chattanooga and a little bit of like that was just a moment that you know you just you can't beat that that right exactly that was a stacked show too that was um that norma jean show had oh sleeper and straight from the path and i feel like there was one other like notable band maybe not was that was that three four bands um i don't care if it's mayfire right Oh yeah, yeah. So hey, there's another band that got decently big that right. came through the warehouse. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That show was awesome. Um, we had in the actually got moved to the main room, or maybe we just booked it in the main room. But it was in 2011. Would have been the for today, Chelsea Grin, Motionless in White, 
for the Fallen Dreams in the Mist Alliance. And then our, our boys in this hour open that that show. Right. Yeah, let's talk about that show a little bit. So that, um, especially numbers-wise, profitability-wise, yeah, maybe the most um, successful warehouse show maybe we ever had, I think. Would you agree? Uh, there was another one in 2013 that we'll get to later. But, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, that was a very profitable show financially. Uh, we did catch a lot of heat for that show uh, because of the band Chelsea Grin, I believe. I don't really um, remember that. What do you I'm, remember about that? Yeah, I just remember uh, some of the staff that were helping us. Maybe a few mentors of mine um, had came across that band or heard some of their lyrics. Or from what I remember, you know, they were just pretty vulgar and whatever. And um, well, I mean, so, I guess the name is a little telling too. If you actually know yeah. what a Chelsea Grin is, so. yeah, sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, but. I, I also I looked up to a few venues. I know Rocket Town in Nashville, and then there's another venue in, in Florida, Florida, yeah. um, the Murray Hill Theater. Both of those venues booked that same tour, but they didn't allow Chelsea Grin or Motionless and White to play their shows. So it's kind of a rare thing that would happen occasionally. Was a, a venue would book a tour like that where we only really want these two or three bands on the tour but they would pay the full package price. Uh, so okay. what would happen was let's say that that tour if i remember correctly it was 3000 or $3500 to book that tour and those other venues I, I i'm pretty sure rocket town i know for sure murray hill theater um they didn't allow chelsea grin or motionless and white to play the show but they paid the tour the full package so those bands could either a go play another show across town or in a different town, mm-hmm. or they could just take the night off and they'd still and get still get paid. Later. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a way to say like, "Hey, we're still going to pay you, but unfortunately, because of your lyrics, your content, and your music was just too vulgar for those two venues." Right. Both of those venues have board of directors. They have uh, people that would actually like look at the bands coming in and kind of exactly. like you know make sure that it was you know family friendly i guess or an all age for mm-hmm. meant for an all ages crowd and those two bands in particular um you know at that time were were very vulgar and so anyways um we had the full tour package come in but i i caught some heat for it from a few folks and and but we did it anyways just we always felt like hey like that's that band's art and that's their expression you know obviously i'm not going to believe with every single thing they say or do but right. uh as in general, I don't want to be, I don't want to ask their bands not to play because I dis- may disagree with some of their views. I would rather, you know, have them come play, you know, rub shoulders with them, love on them while they're there, you know, have a good time, you know, show them that our venue is, you know, we're going to love them no matter what they believe and no matter what they might say. And we're still going to, you know, support the tour as a, as a whole. Right. Yeah, so that that was always our typically that was our, you know, where we where we stood when it came to that. But once again, we didn't have a, a strong board of directors telling us like I know Rocket Town ran into that a lot in Nashville was you know, they the the folks running the venue would have totally booked whatever band, but they had a group of people above them saying like making some of those big choices and saying, no, you can't have this particular band or you can't have. And a lot of that for those that maybe don't understand, um, 
has everything to do with the funding of it and stuff too, where we were very DIY self-funded. We only (laughs) almost, uh, almost always like the money that came in at the door that night is the money that we paid the bands with. Like that's, that's the money we had, but these bigger established venues like rocket town and Murray Hill theater, um, were like pretty much legitimate businesses and had board of directors that had to have decisions cleared through them. Um, because they're, at that point they were all basically financial decisions. Like every tour that came through, is this a good financial decision for what this business is about? Right. And this isn't something we really got into, um, on the first episode, but it's something that we definitely stood by was that, um, we, we were a Christian venue, meaning that everyone that worked there were Christians, believed in Jesus and the Bible and wanted to, um, basically love like Jesus does and share that love to people that came through. And so, and we believed as a part of that is that Jesus was always with the people wherever they were at. Right. So if a band is going to come through for, this is a definitely a story for the East Ridge episode where like a band um, called within the ruins came and played and had um, a pretty, uh, a pretty vulgar t-shirt that they wanted to sell. That was really in direct confrontation with what we believed um and we stood our ground about it like uh, mainly when i say we i mean you <laughs> oh yeah um i vaguely remember that i remember is that the, is that the same band that drew um with sidewalk chalk they went outside and kind of drew these big oh, like pentagrams and stuff and, yeah, yeah on the on the sidewalk of the strip mall so that was fun Right. And, uh, <laughs> to deal with at yeah. the time. But I guess I kind of got off track a little bit. But the point I was trying to make is that um, even though we kind of had to battle it out with this band about that certain thing, we still like wanted them to play. We still wanted them to have this place to come and be able to make some money tonight, maybe make some new fans, um, meet some people, hang out with us, um, have a, a something to eat right give this band a place on this tour to come and do that and not discriminate against them because they didn't believe exactly what we believed right right and uh, we always did that we did that with our local bands Mm -hmm. um everybody we did have a policy that we really didn't want people to curse from the stage like in between songs like you were talking about we weren't going to censor people's art so if it was in the song right it is what it is right most of these bands screamed and let's be honest a lot of people um couldn't understand what they were saying unless you really looked into it anyways so uh we just kind of let that slide but in between we really tried to uh, make sure bands knew that so that they wouldn't do it of course not everyone um really was in line with that all the time uh which was a little frustrating sometimes especially when you've got parents there who are dropping their kids off thinking that this is a um, an all ages venue and a or a teen center somewhere where their kid is going to um, be influenced by good things and not maybe things that they don't want them to be influenced by. So sometimes that was, that was frustrating, but um, it was what it was. It was worth the frustration and the stress sometimes so that we could have, um, we could meet all people where they were at. Right. Cause that's what we were about. Um, Right. 
one story kind of jumps to mind uh, in back in East Ridge, the band called Life Ruiner. Um, uh, we didn't book them. I think it was an outside promoter had booked that show, but um, okay. they, I would have these little discussions. Me and you both did, Jason. We, we would pull the singer to the side before the set and we would just say, right. Hey, especially when we knew that their lyrics were vulgar or whatever. And we would say, Hey, you know, during your songs, you know, we don't want to censor, you know, your lyrics or your expression, you know, but we just ask that in between songs, you keep it as clean as possible, you know, try not to curse a ton and try not to, you know, get the crowd hyped up, you know, by, you know, using whatever language. And, uh, and most of the time it would go fine and the singers would be respectful and, and it was all good. But this one time in particular, the singer of Life Ruiner, like the nicest guy in the world, he was, I pulled him side stage, you know, in between bands, they're getting ready to go up and uh, just said, Hey man, here's the deal. You know, uh, we are Christians that run a venue and, you know, there are kids here, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. So we try to keep, you know, keep the, uh, what happens on stage as clean as possible. We don't want to censor your lyrics. You know, I gave him the speech that we, we gave a ton of bands and, uh, and, um, he said, Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, no problem at all. That sounds great. Like, Oh dude, thank you so much. You know, we're so honored to be here. I mean, he just was the sweetest guy. And then <laughs> as soon as they hit the first note, he just went in hard on this, you know, what the F is up East Ridge, you know, mother effer, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was at the sound booth just like, are you freaking kidding me? It was almost funny. It was so bad that it was just, I just, sm- I think I smiled and laughed and I was just like, okay. <laughs> oh man. So it was good. So wherever you are these days, life ruiner, um, you know, you got us. Yeah. Thanks You a lot. got us. Yeah. <laughs> Moms were pissed for a year after that show. So they, they could have made a bunch of, bunch of money on merch with that. True. Yeah. Like, uh, moms are pissed. Life yeah. runner. We have to shout out, speaking of this subject matter, we have to shout out to Timothy Hill, our boy from... Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, local band, um, Everywhere to Prophecy. He was in a couple other local bands too, right? Burn the Empire. I can't remember. Yeah, before that. And then okay. um, did vocals for Encounters also. True, yeah. Okay. For a small stint. So shout out Timothy Hill. Yeah. TJ for, uh, Hill. For uh, uh, battling with us on that a few times. For years. Yeah. For years. years. Yeah. Hey, this is, this is a good transition though. Let's talk about some local bands. So it's not something we've put a lot of emphasis on, but um, I felt like our scene... We really had some pretty talented local bands. Um, not everybody really got to get out and do a whole lot or do tours, and it could have been because of age or jobs or personal lives. But I felt like we had some pretty solid talent, and you know, and it wasn't us just feeding into our own bubble and everything. Like the bands that would come through would acknowledge it too, right? They'd tell us, right? Like, yeah, like this band that played with us tonight is one one of the best local bands we've played with like ever or in the whole country. Like it's pretty special. Um, and I, and it was always, it's like a little proud dad moment or something when you hear that, like about, you know, one of your local bands that maybe wouldn't have existed if we didn't run this venue. Right. Right. 
Um, and I know a few just off the top of my head. Um, definitely, uh, original name was Failing the Fairest, and then they changed their name to Cartographer. Yeah. Um, very talented guys. Um, they were a band for a while. It was kind of um, started out like melodic hardcore, and then kind of um, transitioned into being like slightly more progressive. But yeah, cool dudes. They did a great job. Oh, yeah. um, we mentioned Between Two Seas earlier. Also, a very good, maybe what you'd call like a screamo band, right? Right. Um, added something a little different though. Had um, Kevin on keyboards, which helped them stand out a lot. I thought. Right. Uh, what are some other notable locals you thought of um, we over just the years? Them, but everywhere to prophecy, um, the band per millisecond for sure. Um, I'm looking both for- in that um, metal range. Everywhere to prophecy more so the deathcore kind of scene, yeah. and then um, per millisecond like very progressive metal. Right. Um, we, of course, we had our two locals that. We're around forever. Show the fight in Axiom. Both of them played a ton of shows. And right, let's see, um, in this hour, which we've mentioned a few times. mentioned them a few times for good reason because they i mean they just got better and better over the years they were definitely the right. standout hardcore band in our like all ages scene right um, and they eventually i feel like transitioned and got accepted into the scenic city hardcore scene of chattanooga and did pretty well for themselves over there too right. um yeah definitely a good band very talented right the band Unspoken Triumph, the band Encounters, both of them were strong locals. For sure. Um, I'm looking a little bit more. Some of the lighter bands that weren't as heavy that we just loved and were always around our friends and fairly well. Let's see. Behold the Brave, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. Dead and Stanley, Behold the Brave. Um I'm just looking through flyers here, oh, right. trying to make sure I don't miss some miss somebody. solid ones. Yeah. Well, we had um, we had bands that we had a a pretty good variety, right? We almost had like a band that was really good in a certain sub genre, right? Of these of this like aggressive music, right? Um, and so there wasn't a lot of overlap when it came to that. Um, you didn't have just two bands that sounded exactly like each other that played all the same shows all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of lucked out there. Um, and maybe that's why our scene did so well for that right. short amount of time, you know, especially in those downtown years when we had such strong locals, like opening these tour packages yeah. um, that were coming through. They were doing really well. Yeah. A couple other bands I just came across, uh, not as heavy, but, uh, our friends Rigoletto, that band was sick. Uh, Rainbow oh, yeah. Station was always great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Bantella Monster was always good. Canines, which was a few of the Amini guys, right? Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Canines had uh, JP and Luke that were in my band, Amini. Also a band around that time. Uh, it's nice to be one half of the booking team, so your band gets to play all the cool shows. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, so uh, that was always nice, but um, I thought we did an okay job. Yeah, I thought it was thought it was great. Joey Wider would think different, but gosh, <laughs> most everybody else thought it was great. So, um, yeah, so yeah, we had a really strong, you can almost say, su- support team like in our local bands for all these big touring acts coming through right i think that gave us some credibility also for Tear a lot of the lean. touring bands Tear oh yeah Tear has lane obviously yeah they were a great band Very, um, I think, influential in their scene. Also, they really tried to do something different, and you could really tell. I mean, they were good at it, right? And then I think bands since then have been influenced by them to try to do something a little different, and not just maybe follow everything sure, they see yeah. on TV or on the radio or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, great guys. Think outside of the box. Very talented. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of maybe some other really notable shows i know we had um a plea for purging again a few times downtown um oh a band um that got pretty big to close your eyes uh we had them either i think twice right Um, one of the really memorable times was in support i think of a band that meant a lot to us yeah Yeah. i remember that being really special at least for for both of us being big shy fans um but tell me a little bit about that like um kind of that show and when we had living sacrifice in east ridge because we didn't talk about that very much um tell me about how having these bands that meant so much to you play at your venue like kind of how that felt what you remember about those shows stuff like that yeah it felt great uh, i guess <laughs> i don't know how else to say it it just felt you know nostalgic you grow up listening to these bands and and um they just impact you in a deep way in certain years of your late teenage years you know for me living sacrifice was my first metal show i ever went to so when i finally got to book them later on in life you know it was a huge deal um and it was like a milestone and you know, right. and being a promoter and a venue owner or whatever. So, and same thing with Shah Halud. You know, they're just so... Um, just so influential and, yes. and hardcore in general. Right. Um, yeah. And so, it was insane. I remember even like when... Um, this is a kind of an inside term. When you settle up at the end of the night, right? You'll get with who was ever doing, managing the tour at the time. A lot of times, it's just a, a guy in a band, right? Handling right. the business for the bands. Member. Right. And this would have been uh, Matt from um, Shahlude. Right. And uh, we were selling up with him, getting him the money for the tour package. We were both in there in our back office. And uh, I remember... <laughs> So like we were both just gushing to him. It was almost like we were talking to a celebrity. We were just like, you, yeah. you don't like realize how much this means to us to have you here, like play for us tonight. Like it was probably like a Thursday night or something. Right. Um, we probably, I mean, we're super close to capacity or maybe did like a little over a hundred or something like that. I can't yeah. remember. Um, I remember I missed close your eyes because, uh, my mom got married that day and I was actually oh, okay. in the wedding. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, uh, I literally left the wedding and rushed down there. You guys were all taking care of the show and I right. get there like right before Shai Halud went on. I think, no, I also missed, uh, was it counterparts? 
Um, yeah, yeah. There's another band that ended okay. up doing really well, right? Counterparts yeah. is on that tour. Yeah, what a so tour! I, I missed them, and I I think I caught half of Close Your Eyes, and then Shai Halud went on last, and so I got to see that whole that mm-hmm. whole set. But um, yeah, just you know, you just grow up, you know, listening to this music, and it just impacts you deeply. And then one day you get to actually be a small part in bringing it to our city and bringing it to this community that we had right. been working on for years. So it was just like a, it was like a show and tell of like, Hey kids, this is what we were listening to growing right. up. Like, please watch yeah. them, you know, please, yeah, please. Attention, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. so uh, the old folks show and tell, I guess. Um, I so. want to say maybe um, another, another show that was like that for us um, that really meant a lot because of a, a two bands that were on this tour um, that meant a lot to both of us and to a lot of our staff. And we were just mm-hmm. over the moon on the um, opportunity to be able to have them in our city would have been, um, we had a tour that was headlined by Under Oath. So it would have been Under Oath, um, Comeback Kid, The Chariot, and a hardcore band called This Is Hell. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was another show that we had to do in the main room. We were running out that thousand cap room, and right. I think maybe we did. It wasn't quite as good as the Florida Day show. That show I think did like seven hundred something people, and this one did like between five and six. I think was under oath five hundred yeah, to six hundred people. Five oh five. Five oh five. Yep, exactly. I think yep. that Florida Day show did six fifty ish. I think. Oh, okay. But it yeah. was. Um, I knew it was close to seven. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so that was a huge deal for us. Like, obviously, we had probably seen Under Oath play at other venues, like in a few different states, like over the years, multiple times. But having the opportunity to have them in our scene, like at our venue, was something really special for us and a little nerve wracking, also for right. that day. Um, what do you remember about that show that day? Um, and kind of tell me a little bit about maybe how it brings back nostalgic memories of Fathom, where you would talk about people being lined up around the building. This is definitely one of those shows where yeah. we made something ha- like that happen in our city. Yeah. It was definitely a milestone booking wise, promoting wise. And, and um, I remember the first email we got that had under us name on it only and I remember, you know, calling you or probably like immediately. Yeah. Freaking yeah. Out. We were, <laughs> you know, we were both like, no way. This is amazing. You know, right. so we were stoked on it and, um, definitely one of the biggest events that we had ever put together. And, and, um, definitely at that point, the biggest guarantee that we'd ever put on the oh, line. So that tour sure. package was $10,000. <sighs> and for us, you know, we did like, like we said earlier, you know, you got no backing, no funding from outside sources, you know, we're self, um, you know, self-funded just off of ticket sales and, and, uh, concession sales literally. And that was, that was pretty much it at the time. And, um, so it was a huge risk and, you know, uh, taking on a show that large, you're putting your neck on the line and a lot of, uh, financial risk there. And so, uh, I remember a couple emails in, they finally told us the rest of the tour and we freaked out even more because yeah. we were both huge comeback kid fans. So, uh, actually have a large comeback kid tattoo um he does well so we you know we were just super stoked and the chariot was was our almost like friends at that point we'd probably because yeah, they had four or five times played for, yeah, maybe four or five times yeah yeah so um so the whole tour was just awesome and it was just perfect timing and now under oath was on a decline at the time and they'd put out 
their lowest selling record and yeah this would have been know. um on the disambiguation tour cycle right so this is after aaron had left the band and daniel davidson and started playing drums um still a great record just not near as popular as great. a lot of the rest yeah um but yeah like you said under oath on kind of a decline yeah. um comeback kid would have been let's see i don't know what record they would have been on at that point this was 2011 october so what is that one called with the for the sure cartoon Broadcast kid like out. flying on the front or uh, falling sy- symptoms and cures yeah maybe? probably okay. around symptoms and cures would be my right. guess okay so they actually tar- started to because yeah with that they really started to start to change their sound a little bit get a little thrashier with the guitars right it's hard to remember <laughs> but yeah uh, but anyways and then the chariot yeah i think had just put out long live probably their most successful record um right and then i didn't really know too much about this is hell um they were a pretty they were a good like straightforward hardcore band and so we were excited to have them too yeah. but um but yeah so what do you remember about that night specifically like with just having to deal with so many people um when you're dealing with a band that big you know people kind of come out of the woodworks like hey casey you know i know we haven't talked in in three years but um i'd love to volunteer at the, <laughs> the underworld show i'm sure yeah. you've got a place for me tell me yeah. a little bit about kind of dealing with that dealing with the um the tour package and their needs and the money on the line that day um yeah just what you remember about the show i remember let's see i remember on under oath's rider they had a lot of uh whiskey and liquor and i remember sending andrew bettis to a local liquor store to pick up a few things on the rider i think that's kind of a unique thing that was kind of like shocking to those involved Maybe a little bit yeah yeah and um i do remember um the barricades that we rented we rented barricades from another local venue from um rhythm and bruise in chattanooga we rented probably 20 pieces of barricade that the because on the tour rider it required that we set up a barricade in front of the stage and which we weren't we weren't happy about you know we were yeah, hard we, we wanted to have yeah. fun and and you know but we also understood for safety reasons and under oath was bringing in you know a whole lighting package with all kinds of things all over the stage it was tons of money so they don't want people piling up on stage and you know breaking any equipment pedal boards and all that stuff so so we, we kind of got it at the same point but the barricades that we brought in, um, the tour manager was super pissed about them and just basically told us they weren't going to work and they were just, they were junk. And, you know, he was, he was already kind of pissed about that. Um, also the, the financials behind the scenes were not great. I had, I had sent the money like a, a bank wire, um, about 24 hours prior to the day of the show. So maybe, um, Maybe two oh, days so, out is when I sent it. Maybe so. Those sometimes when you're um, when you're dealing with an amount of money that's guaranteed like this large, a lot of times the agency that's booking the tour will require a, a deposit. A lot of times it's like ten percent or something. Right. Sometimes more, twenty five percent most yeah. of the time. So this one was like you know twenty five hundred dollars was due. You know. Um, it was really due a couple of weeks before the show, but we just didn't have it. So 
I kept renegotiating and finally I sent it about, uh, it was about two days prior maybe. Uh, well, the bank wire was in limbo and it didn't go through all the way through. So the day of the show, uh, you know, I'm getting calls from the tour manager and he's extremely pissed and he's basically threatening to pull the show. And, and uh, there was a ton of stress going on with the financials of the show before, before right. the doors even open. So, uh, and this was kind of another situation where, um, uh, Josh from the chariot kind of came in and helped us out a little bit at our second venue here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cause he kind of stepped no, in did. and yeah. And gave, um, put in a good word for us with the tour manager saying, Hey, these are good guys. They're always good for their money. Like right. there's no reason to shut down this over, um, an internet issue. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the tour manager on the phone, you know, he's in New York, but he's, he's, um, he's managed under oath for 15 years at that point, you know, and he says, uh, if you don't pay my, my band, my money, you know, in the next hour, then they're going to pack up and, and go on to the next city. So we, uh, we gather up all the warehouse crew that was working that night and I kind of tell them what's going on and say, guys, we've got to come up with $2,500 in the next hour and, uh, or under us not taking the stage. So the crowd's oblivious to this, you know, the, the line is around the building and, you know, people are excited and there's a ton of, you know, excitement in the air kind of deal. And, um, and like to our volunteer staff's credit, like they made it happen, right? We won't necessarily right. mention any names, but um, yeah, they we did, made it happen. Yeah. We we made this show, we made history that night, all nah. thanks to uh, some people being pretty generous. It was right. awesome. So they, of course, we paid them back, um, you know, obviously show and towards the end of the night and the following day, once all the pre-sale ticket money had hit and everything, we, right. we were able to get them all their money back. But that show ended up losing, um, we lost a thousand dollars on that show. So, so out of $10,000 owed, you know, we ended up making 9,000 and then, um, just, you know, out of warehouse pocket or whatever, we, we lost a thousand. So, and at the end of the day, that didn't really upset us and that didn't really, um, you know, well, at this time, this isn't something we've brought up just yet, but, um, over this year and really towards the tail end of being in East Ridge is where we really started to get a lot better at the business end of all this. And finally, like, when we had shows that were profitable, we finally had a little money in the bank sometimes. Right. And so not all the time, but sometimes. Right. right? When Definitely it came not to all the time, but paying rent and all that uh, stage upkeep, sound upkeep, right? Every, right. Keeps keeping the bar um stocked, right? All that yeah. kind of stuff that goes into just running this kind of business. But um we were just better off than we had been up to this point. Right. right. And so um yeah. yeah. So to have a show that meant so much to us but still lose a thousand dollars wasn't the end of the world. Right. Yeah, it was it was it was like an investment for sure. Right. And you know, you're going to lose on shows. So why not lose on one of the best shows you've ever booked? You know, that's how we right. got it. <laughs> We're like, Hey, we'll lose, we'll lose that kind of money all day long for bands like that. You know, it's exactly. other shows of bands that no one really, it didn't have that big of an impact on your, your city or your community. You hate to lose a lot of money on those type of shows. Just it not feel like a waste feel worth it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Feel worth it, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, for sure. And so, like we've kind of mentioned a few times already, um, even though these were maybe some of the most 
like profitable times, some of the best tour packages that we ever had come through. We were only in this spot in downtown Chattanooga for about a year. So tell me a little bit about kind of what led up to that. Um, what ended up being the big breaking point as to why we had to leave. So, yeah, that year was, I feel like it was kind of the the pinnacle. What we had been working on for three or four years there all came to, you know, a, a plateau and a, just a really good, that was a solid good year in downtown. That's for how sure. I remember it at least and. Tons of good shows, um, just better location. Financials were better. They still weren't great, but it was just, you know, it was just a different type of season down there. And um, so that brings us to around December, Christmas time, 2011. Uh, we were already booking for the new year. We probably. Oh, had- and so something to mention that we didn't mention already. So we rented this room from someone else right who was still holding events all the time right like uh, across the hallway right a lot of times they were um parties with djs or um rap and hip-hop events we even had a uh plea for purging show one time uh on the same night that uh gucci main played in the main room across the hall right that's a fun memory um but yeah, so these kind of events were going on all the time, right? right. Um, we uh, were, so yeah, so we could do a whole there. episode on that Gucci <laughs> show and oh, that yeah. of, uh, us being told from like inside sources that there were like snipers in the across the parking lot oh, and all kinds and, of crazy uh, stuff in the parking garage that were going to kill Gucci Man because he had just got out of prison. Right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. We, had, we heard so many rumors that night of things that were going to happen. Uh, I heard eventually that he didn't he didn't actually step into the venue until three thirty in the morning or something. Oh my gosh! And so that the event went to like five a.m. or something. Of course, we were all gone by like eleven or ten thirty right. or something. So we were out of there. But but uh, anyways, yes, they they were that the agreement when we moved down there was that we would take over any you know anything band related like rock, right. indie, hardcore, metal, punk. Uh, anything that had a band or a solo artist, um, you know, instrumentalist, that was going to be us. They were going to do solely uh, hip hop and EDM uh, and dance, and that was that was the agreement that we were that we actually had a contract that was in there, uh, right. just stating that. So we stayed away as much as we could. We may have had one or two hip hop, you know, artists over that whole year. But we stayed out of that world in order to let them completely do that. And then they stopped booking all rock and metal and hardcore. And they just allowed us to do to do that. And so that was the agreement uh, for that year. For sure. And so with them putting on these events, they had kind of, um, I guess, gained a reputation through the city that um, ended up being a detriment to us also right. which kind of led up to um december of that year right you yeah yeah so uh christmas eve 2011 i remember jason you were at work that night uh working downtown at the double tree hotel right which was it's just like um like two blocks from right uh, 
fourth in market there. Yep. Right. So um, if I remember the timeline of events, um, I got a text message from somebody saying that there had been a shooting at Club Fathom. And um, I think two, three minutes after that, I think I called you or you called me and you started to describe that somebody had just came into your work. Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, it would have been, it was late, right? So I was a night auditor for um, a hotel chain called a Doubletree. So I worked third shift. Um, So a lot of times with these shows, I'd have to leave like a little bit early. I might not get to see the very last band, but it is what it is, right? Um, So I was at work that night um, and someone came like hobbling in like on one leg bleeding, um, yelling because they had been shot. Um, and I was kind of freaking out. Like I was trying to just get to a phone and I was going to call somebody, but luckily I guess authorities had already been um, called because, uh, police and like, um, an, an ambulance EMTs and stuff were already were like right behind them. They rushed in and, and treated that person. And I kind of, found out through all this guy hobbling into the lobby of the hotel that I was um, working at that night, uh, telling me that there had been a shooting um, mm-hmm. two blocks down at Club Fathom. And then and I'm sure at that point, either I called you or you called me after you'd gotten some word about it. I don't exactly remember, but it was right. pretty, pretty shocking. Yeah, it was. It was well. First of all, it was Christmas Eve, so it was just random right. and just so. Out, well, it out so of and they were having a, some sort of like Christmas Eve like hip hop show or something. Right. That it was night. a yeah. it was a fraternity affiliated of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think with UTC and there was basically a drive by shooting that happened. A car drove by the back parking lot. Back area. parking lot. Yep. Kind of open fire on a large group of people that were all standing outside. This was at like a little after midnight, I think. Um the show was over. Everybody was standing outside. And of course, you know, none of the warehouse folks were there. We had not had a show at that point. It had been probably it about probably a, at least a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. It was about two weeks, I think, since we had, had our last event. Just because it was around the holidays and bands weren't touring and all that. So yeah. Um anyway, so Nine people, I think, ended up getting shot. No one died um, that I remember. But um, obviously, we had massive, um, it had massive, like, you know. Um, Implications on yeah, us on being us there. And, yeah. our, and what we did. Um, so quickly. Because of what happened. Yeah. So it's right. all like, yeah. So because of their event and that kind of going down, and obviously that was a little bit out of their control and, Totally understandable um, that you know they had the the club themselves had really nothing to do with that side of it, but the some of the folks that were there were involved in other things, and there was you know rumors of gang activity and different things. So um, <clears throat> long term, though, get fast forward a few days, um, the mayor of Chattanooga, we we tried our best to get in contact with the mayor's office, and hey, right. how does this affect us? Our business is in that same building but we clearly had nothing to do with this particular event. Um, oh, and so the reason why that is because um, it had come out that the mayor was just going to shut the entire building down. Right. And right. so the we didn't, the city of Chattanooga, I don't think really had any idea that um, Club Fathom or Mosaic Church was um, subletting a portion of their room 
right. to us to also hold events. And so I don't think that they, no, they the city of Chattanooga yeah, right. had no idea that it was affecting us, like shutting us down also. Right. right. And and really, they didn't know that it was any different, that we were actually a different right. team, exactly. uh, renting out another piece of the facility. So we did a lot of explaining. We tried, we talked to them, you know, we got interviewed by multiple news sources. We tried our best to tell our story, but at the end of the day, uh, it's about two weeks later, you know, we got the official call that said um, the mayor's office is actually saying that that, that particular location can, cannot be used for um, uh, what they call general, uh, general assembly, occup- or assembly occupancy. Um, so basically, they're not going to let concert events go down there or any kind of right. event that's large scale like that. So. They, they said, we're sorry, we understand you, you guys are different, you're running a different uh, organization, but at the same time, we've decided that this particular address, this building is no longer going to do assembly occupancy um, you know, meetings, and we're no longer going to allow that. So we were pretty much done, and that was it after that phone call. It was a, it was a crazy time, especially when um, it for us, I mean, we were like, I guess we didn't realize it at the time, but that was um, some of the best and most profitable years for us. And really, yeah. we were just on top of the world. It was kind of normal to us at the time that we were doing so well. But um, yeah, it was definitely the peak, the peak of the warehouse, I feel like, uh, was that year, 2011. And uh, we had some good moments after that, but really that year just was a highlight and there was just so much momentum going at the time. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll call it quits here on episode two as we transition into, um, the third installment on our series on the warehouse venue and how it um, was a part of the heavy music scene in Chattanooga and Southeastern Tennessee. Um, so stay tuned for that next episode. Um, find out where the warehouse went from downtown Chattanooga and what ended up happening from, I guess those years it would have been from 2011 to about 2013.